Welcome to EduBlender, a podcast discussing the hot issues in Scottish education. In this episode, we interview George Gilchrist on the subject of his new book, Practitioner Inquiry, Professional Development with Impact for Teachers, Schools and Systems. We also have our regular features in the news we recommend and inspired by. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. You can also read our blog at edublether.wordpress.com. In the news this episode, a Test Scotland investigation has found that the new national standardised assessments are costing £3.2 million plus £1.4 million to develop. Um, this is on the back of uh, councils spending previous to the new national assessments 1.2 million. So obviously it's a huge increase in terms of the amount that we're spending on standardised assessments. There's reservations over the effectiveness of standardised assessments. Teachers across the country are anxious about putting primary ones, primary fours, sevens, through these assessments because they feel that children are too young, they feel there's not enough computers in schools to actually be able to deliver the assessments, and when timetabling these assessments, they're finding that it's taking too much time out of teaching and learning. This has obviously heightened it, realising that it's costing far more than councils are spending previously. This is leading to a lot of stress and anxiety for teachers the country over. We're also looking at thousands of secondary school pupils missing out on vital cancer education that could ultimately end up saving their lives. One fifth of secondary schools are not taking part in a programme provided by the Teenage Cancer Trust, which raises awareness of the signs and symptoms of the disease. Every year, about 200 young people are diagnosed with the disease in Scotland, and feedback has shown that by engaging in the Teenage Cancer Trust awareness raising programme in Scottish schools that young people are much more likely and much more confident going to speak to their GP if they identify any issues. So please check that out at Teenage Cancer Trust. Another news story is that a recent report from the Scottish Government has found that girls are outperforming boys in high level school qualifications. So despite there being slightly fewer girls girls in Scotland's high schools, they account for 55% of entries at higher and advanced higher. Even doing better in STEM subjects, they still account for only about 15% and 8% at advanced higher in these STEM subjects. So that girls are doing much better than boys in these STEM subjects, yet they are still accounting for just a fraction of the entries at these levels. Now it's time for our main feature, which this episode focuses on practitioner inquiry. We interview George Gilchrist on his new book, um, Practitioner Inquiry, Professional Development with Impact for Teachers, Schools and Systems. George was a fantastic guest, um, really insightful. He provided some real practical um, tips and advice for teachers and schools um, looking to introduce professional development in this way into their school. Um, Really, really in-depth knowledge. I think George um, could have talked to us for quite a long time about this because he was really um, knowledgeable and he'd clearly taken quite a lot from his experience there. So I hope you enjoy this. Welcome everybody to this very special episode of Edge Blether. We're delighted to have George Gilchrist with us, the author of Practitioner Inquiry, 
um, a brand new book all about practitioner inquiry. So we're delighted to hear all about that today. Um, George has been a head teacher of two primary schools in the Borders. Um, he's also a fellow for the Scottish College of Educational Leadership. He's a renowned speaker, and he also has a fantastic blog, School Leadership: A Scottish Perspective. Um, and we're delighted to have his insight today. Uh, welcome, George. Uh, thank you. Thanks for the invite and having me along, giving me the opportunity to speak to you all today. No problem at all. It's a pleasure. Um, so for our first question, um, just to hear a bit more about you, could you give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour of your career and the steps that have led you to writing this book, please? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, I started uh, back in education. I'd been out of education for a long time, uh, in business and commerce, and I returned to education in 1992, just as uh, 5 to 14 was coming into place in Scottish schools. So I started off as a class teacher uh, back in primary education in the Scottish borders in 1992, and from there uh, I got you know, after a few years, I was made a senior teacher. Then I went into uh, leadership and got my first headship. Uh, I was head teacher of a small uh, village school, the village where I live in, uh, where I live at the moment, Newcastleton. And uh, I was head teacher there for about nine years before I moved to Jebra and to become head teacher at Parkside and then Ancrum Primary School as well. So I became head teacher of, of both schools. So, you know, I've been involved in teaching in, and, and certainly in leadership for well over 20 years now. And one of the frustrations for me, for, always for me as a, as a head teacher was how busy we were. We were always constantly busy, but actually when he took the time to step back and and look at the the impact of that busyness, you often struggled to see that impact. And staff staff were feeling the same way as well. So we'd been, you know, and I'd been as guilty as, as anyone else of, yeah. of, of driving the busyness, uh, if you like, when I first became a head teacher. And... I just thought there has to be a better way than what we're doing, you know, where we're constantly at the the beck and call of others above us in the in the hierarchy who kept telling us things we needed to do. Uh, and and when I first became a head teacher, we were you know we we were beginning to implement curriculum for excellence, and teachers and ourselves as a leadership team, as we were just feeling swamped by everything everyone was telling us we had to do. And we were struggling to make sense of all of that. And we've been doing that for years. As I say, we've been very, very busy. But, you know, you have to ask yourself, what's the impact of all that busyness? Yeah. So it was born out of a sense of frustration and also wanting to support staff better uh, to do stuff, to do things that were going to be more meaningful than than what we we we've been engaged with at that point. Uh, I, I mean, I was very lucky in 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 Ancrum and, and Parkside in having 
very committed staff and a very able senior management team as well. So we started looking around and one of the deputies put us in touch with Gillian Robinson at uh, Edinburgh University. And it was Gillian who came and, you know, I, I poured out my frustrations with what we were doing and and the impact of what we were doing to Gillian. And it was Gillian that said, well, you know, I might have a way that solves some of your problems and helps you find a way forward. And she didn't even talk about practitioner inquiry at the start. Mm -hmm. She just said, you know, I've got a way uh, that you might be interested in. I'm prepared to come in and support you, your staff, with uh, professional development. And we'll start off by focusing on, on what it is they they are saying that they feel they need support and help with. Uh, but what if I do come in, you know, part of the deal is that I will require your staff to do uh, engage with uh, professional reading and with uh, writing around whatever it is they, they identify that they want support with. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, that, sound, that sounds great. That sounds like something that, you know, that uh, might be helpful to us. Mm-hmm. And so that started us off on, on, the, on the, the road uh, to Damascus, if you like, <laughs> we were we we went, we started on this road of a different approach to professional development and a different approach to school development, where we tried to, well, we didn't even have to. We we connected everything that we were at, we've been told that we had to engage with, but we started to do it in a connected way, yeah. and as part of a continuous process. Uh, so that's why we, we got involved and why I wanted to get involved uh, because I thought there has to be a better way of, of, of professional development and school development to the one we were all experiencing at, at that time. And that, mm. was, that was nine, nearly ten years ago now. Mm. Wow. And in terms of, you had said practitioner inquiry wasn't a, a thing, it wasn't sold to you at the time as that. How did it evolve into that and, and what did it start to look like when, when you were working with Gillian? Yeah, well, when we first started with Gillian, uh, we we sat down with staff and, and the staff identified, you know, that they were, they, they were feeling particularly that they would they would like support around aspects of the teaching of literacy and, and mm-hmm. reading and, and writing. They were struggling uh, with that and how to make sense of that. So Gillian and ourselves, we put a plan together uh, for, for the first year that said that basically Gillian would come in, uh, work with staff through CAT sessions, collegiate activity time, mm-hmm. and uh, on some in-service days as well to work with staff. And we would we would look at the things they were telling us they were they were concerned about, and she, and she laid it out to them. She said, you know, so this is what I'm going to do. But what I require from you is to think about uh, exactly what's happening. To read, I will provide you with professional reading around these areas. Mm-hmm. I want you to do the reading. I want you to have conversations with each other around the reading and what your thoughts are, and be prepared to come back in sessions and have that uh, explore the issues mm-hmm. and explore what you've read and, and and start to identify how you think that might uh, look like and what impact that might have on your practice. 
So basically, that was the the first year, and we went through the first year with with the input from Gillian, uh, and it was only towards the end of the first year of engagement that we saw of, we, we we reviewed the whole situation and uh, we said to staff, "So what what do you think? How how do you feel this is going?" And they were very enthusiastic and they, and they thought it was you know it was exactly what they were looking for. What I'd all, also done, by the way which was really important. I cleared the school improvement plan of everything else. Yeah. And I said, you know, this is going to be our main focus for mm. the next 12 months, uh, next school year in our school improvement plan. Mm. And I will uh, write a plan that lays out what we're doing but also protects us from uh, anything else being dropped on us from above, which was often happened. Yeah, uh, the staff weren't quite sure whether I'd be able to do that, but I, I managed to do it. I had some interesting conversations with one or two people above me uh, in the local authority, but actually uh, we were basically allowed to just get on and, and do mm -hmm. what we were doing because we, you know, I could I could talk about what we were doing and why we were doing it, and and this we we were starting to see the impact of what was happening very early anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the end of the, that first year, we got the staff together and said, right, what do, what do you think? Do you, do you think this is a way forward for the future? Do you want Gillian to keep coming next year? Or do, you know, mm -hmm. And the, the, we left the staff to have that discussion on their own. And uh, then they came back to us and they said, no, no, everybody's really enthusiastic. We've, we've loved having the input, high-value high, uh, input from Gillian mm -hmm. and her expertise. Uh, we've, we've valued having the space to think and to put uh, to make changes to our practice and what we do and, and just think about what we're doing rather than just constantly doing things yeah. because we've always done those things. Uh, you know, and that was one of Gillian's early messages was, you know, uh, we should be, we should question everything. Mm -hmm. Why why are we doing what we're doing, and can we show the impact it's having on learning? Yeah. And and truthfully, when we when we started to do that and ask those questions, sometimes we struggled to uh, provide mm -hmm. any evidence of of the educational value of some of the activities we were involved with. Mm -hmm. So. At the end of the first year, the staff were really, really enthusiastic. And it was only at the end of that first year that Julian started talking to me and saying, well, what, you know, the, this approach is, is what's called a practitioner inquiry approach. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it's, it's a systematic way of, of, of teachers, giving teachers a way of looking at their practice and their impact on learning. And uh, we're going to, you know, we'll develop that over time uh, as we go. And, you know, as soon as she started talking to me a bit more about practitioner inquiry, I started doing a bit re more reading about it myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, you know I, I had this, I suppose it's a light bulb moment, thinking, yes, this is what I've, I've been looking for. Yeah. This is, uh, mm -hmm. this is a, a way out of the... the uh, all the busyness and and the complexity of everything that we were dealing with, yeah. and 
a way for us to to manage that and keep it proportionate and, and manageable uh, as we went as well. Yeah. Funny, I um, I did a year-long um, master's practitioner inquiry course at Murray House and it was Gillian that was leading that as well. And oh, yeah. And I had yeah. a very similar sort of light bulb. And I think she's so um, enthusiastic and inspiring with her approach to it and she just makes it so easy to understand. Um, she, 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 she is. But the other thing is she's grounded in practice. You know, totally. she was a, a teacher herself and, and she's grounded in the classroom. So... There were times in that first year, it didn't all go smoothly, and there were times in the first year where I'd just phone her up, get her in and say, look, we're going, we've gone too quick here. Yeah. Uh, we need to slow down a bit. People are saying, you know, they're not sure of certain aspects of, of what we're doing. And she was great. You know, I could sit down with her and, and with my DHT and, uh, DHTs and, and PT and say, right, this is where the issues are, and we would adjust the plan as we went. You know, yeah. so it wasn't a, it wasn't a plan set in stone. It was a it was a very much a flexible document, grounded in the realities of of day to day life for teachers. Really, yeah. I wonder, George, just before we progress any further. Um, I mean, obviously, practitioner inquiry is sort of firmly grounded in a lot of sort of national policy documents. It's in it's referenced in the standards. It's referenced yeah. in. Higgius, it's now a kind of vital part of uh, probationer programs across the country as well. But there might still be some people listening that actually still don't fully understand what we mean. I wonder um, if you could just give us a neat little summary of what you think practitioner inquiry is. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, to me, practitioner inquiry is it gives teachers a systematic way of looking at their practice and the impact they're having on learning. So it's about uh, I, teachers identifying issues uh, in the learning that's going on in the classroom or issues to do with their practice, their particular practice, or the particular learning issue that has occurred, they've identified it in their, in their classroom. And then having uh, a way of saying, well, I've got a process for doing something about that. Before we went gone down the practitioner inquiry route, we might, you know, I had very reflective teachers, but mm. the, the reflection is not enough. No. You know, you can have the reflection and be able to identify issues or things that are bothering you, but you need a systematic way of being able to say, right, I need to do something about that, and this is what I need to do. <clears throat> and with practitioner inquiry, what it what it encourages you to do is is to look at evidence, look at research around the particular issue, have conversations, have dialogue with colleagues and with others around those issues, and begin to think about tweaks and changes you can make to your practice that will have a positive impacts uh, mm -hmm. for your learners. Hopefully they'll have uh, positive impacts, but not always. Sometimes they, they don't have the positive impacts you're looking for, and then you have to ask yourself, why did that happen, and what do I need to do to, to change that? So it's about uh, looking at your practice, but, but also 
facing the realities of, of being a class teacher, you're still a class teacher and that's your number one priority. You're not an educational researcher, yeah. full-time educational researcher based in the university who's got oodles of time <clears throat> to do literature reviews, you know, speak to colleagues all over the world, mm-hmm. look at all the research. Uh, you, you just haven't got the time for that. So to me, practice inquiry is about keeping it proportionate and manageable. And the way you do that is you narrow down the issue. Uh, generally, when people first engage with the practice inquiry, they, they make... They make the inquiry too broad. They make it too wide. And it, the bigger it is, the harder it is to gather data and gather evidence and to to know uh, with any certainty what sort of impact you're having. So it's about keeping it proportionate and management, uh, manageable, being able to collect uh, some data around the issue mm-hmm. uh, before you start with any interventions and then being able to go back in, introduce some, some interventions or some changes to your practice, then being able to go back at the end of a block of, of, of that such intervention and gather more in, uh, data, <clears throat> hopefully that is going to show you the impact uh, that you've, you've had. And then a big part of it to me is, is, is sharing that. It, not... not in a formal way, but just being able to share that those insights you've gained with colleagues, uh, with your colleagues in your immediate, uh, in your school, in your school environment, and across schools if you can, uh, in any way that you feel comfortable with, and gaining more insight from doing that as well by being able to share, and then it's just a continuing. Uh, uh, of that process, so it becomes like a spiral of of professional development where it's constantly ongoing, where you're looking at issues, identifying issues, but you've got a method which allows you to uh, explore those uh, issues or an issue in more de- in more detail, and perhaps uh, find a way forward for improving the situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect Thank sense. You. Thanks for that, George. Um, and I think what's really clear is um, that with your enthusiasm for it, it's you've you've gone through that process and you've seen the benefits firsthand, obviously. And um, for me, it was such a transformative. Um, approach to my practice I think since doing a practitioner inquiry I I don't look at anything the same since you know yeah Um, and I think that's that's one of the that becomes an issue as well because you know there are plenty of times where I as a school leader have had to protect staff from themselves because they wanted to inquire about everything you know and you've got to say whoa just hold on you know you've got to remember what your day job is, what yeah. your main focus has to be, you've still got to deli- be delivering on that. So it's about creating the space to, to to constantly be looking at their practice, but but to keep it proportionate and manageable is key to me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I wonder, and I'm I'm putting you in a difficult position here because I realise you've you've dedicated a whole chapter to this in your book, Practitioner Inquiry. But I wonder if you could just quickly talk us through what you see are the key benefits. And I suppose if you could touch on, do you think the key benefits are lie for the learner or for the teacher, the professional themselves? Yeah, I think I, the title of the book says it to me. You know. Uh, 
it's, it's practitioner inquiry, uh, professional development with impact for teachers, schools and systems. I think, you know, I wanted to put learners in there as well, but the mm. publishers said the titles get too long. <laughs> just assume that the learners get a benefit okay. if the teachers and the schools and the systems are improving. I said, right, okay. So I gave up on that argument. But to me, you know, the practitioner inquiry offers a way for uh, us to provide and to create benefits for everyone in the system. Obviously, I want it, you know, the benefits have to be, have to be there for the learners. If they're not there for the learners, you know, it's always been one of my maxims, you know, if we're doing anything in schools that doesn't have a positive impact on learning and our learners, we need to stop doing it as soon yeah, as possible. You know, so for me, uh, there has to be benefits and obvious benefits to the learners. And what we were able to show in a variety of ways using uh, summative assessment, formative assessment, data collection techniques as well in the schools that there were benefits. Achievement and attainment uh, rose for, for learners uh, in, in both the schools, uh, across both the schools that I was leading at the time. You know, I, I quote in the book, and I, I quote it regularly when I'm asked to speak about this, the, the two teachers who did a, an, an inquiry around spelling, and they weren't happy with the fact that uh, the children uh, weren't didn't have a range of, of stra strategies to use when they came across new words or difficult words to, to spell. And so they, they looked at that together. It was more like a collaborative inquiry in their case. And they looked at uh, different spelling strategies and they introduced these different spelling uh, strategies in, into, the, into the practice over the course of, of six months it was. And before they started, we'd just done our whole school screening in, 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 of spelling ages and something that children have been doing since they're in P2, and that's, you know, a standardised assessment. And it, it, they have some use, and it gives you a picture of trends over time using assessments like that. So they just done that. So they had, as, as part of the data they had around where these kids were and how confident they were with their spelling was, these these what their, their spelling ages were in relation to the chronological age. Mm -hmm. They introduced the interventions, they put the interventions in, and they, they, their focus was on uh, a group of, uh, in the middle of the class, uh, you know, I would yeah. say, uh, not the most high achievers and not the ones with who were perhaps had faced the greatest challenges. But what what they did uh, six months later, they they redid the, the the testing of the spelling ages, and everyone in the class had moved on by uh, more than twelve months. Wow. Uh, but the biggest impacts had been for the the children who were what we were consider we're in our lowest 20% of attainers. Mm -hmm. Those kids who we, we often struggle to get three months improvement over uh, in, in their spelling age over, a, over the course of a school year, you know, you might get four or five occasionally, but that was about it. 
Not one of them, of those kids who were in that category, made less than 12 months improvement. And and one of them made 18 months improvement. <laughs> now, that to me and to those teachers was so powerful because it was hard evidence about the around the impact that they'd had on the teaching and spelling, spelling and the impact not only had it it had had on their practice but also on on for for the the children in their class as well mm-hmm. so there has to be impact for for the uh, for the learners uh, if there isn't stop doing it as i say yeah. there has to be impact for for teachers uh all the teachers in the, in the two schools I led are different teachers now than they were nine years ago. In mm. fact, there were different teachers every year. It, they changed each year. I read a book by a guy called Nude Illeris, who's a professor of, of education uh, in Sweden, and he talks about transformative learning and identity. And he was saying that if... if, if Learning is truly transformative. The identity of the person or the professional identity has to change in some way. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what we were mm-hmm. seeing. So our teachers over the, the course of our time with practitioner inquiry changed their identity as, as, as teachers. Mm-hmm. They're still the lovely people. They, they are committed people, but they're different teachers and they think differently differently. Just like you were explaining yourself about the, you know, when you did your practice or inquiry, how mm-hmm. it was a light bulb moment for you, and it changed how you think about everything. Well, so it did for uh, the teachers in, in the two schools mm-hmm. I, I led. My argument with the authority and with others that came to visit us, like the HMIE or GTCS uh, Education Scotland, whoever it was, my argument was. This is school development as well. How can my teachers, my learners and my teachers not be uh, improving? How can they be improving and the schools not be improving? Mm -hmm. And the schools were improving. But they were improving on things that really matter, Mm -hmm. not this surface-level pretty things that are easy to see and you can see as you're wandering about and you might see on websites and things. They were were changing in a deep, meaningful way and the change was was sustainable because it was about the culture and the ethos that was now uh, at work, at play in the in the two schools, it was a, it was def- very much a learning culture we created, mm. where everyone in the schools <clears throat> saw themselves as as learners, not just the children, mm. the the staff as well. I even had uh, a, a playground supervisor who came to me one day and said, George, I've, I've been uh, looking at what's going on in the playground and I've, you know, I've been listening to what's been going on with the, the teachers and I've been inquiring into what's going on in the playground and some of the issues that I'm facing mm-hmm. and I've written a little report. I was just blown away that, <laughs> this, the, you know, that someone who's a playground supervisor or not a lot of money had had bought into the ethos mm-hmm. and the culture and she wanted to try and improve what she do, did as well for the benefit of the children. So there's improvements for the schools and if there's improvements for the schools, there's improvements for the system. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. one of the big benefits of, of, of uh, 
practitioner inquiry to me is how it develops, how it leads to a development and an approach to system leadership as well. So that so there are benefits within the school and there are benefits then beyond the school. Mm-hmm. So I had staff who were going out and working with other schools who were thinking about or going down the same route. I was going out and speaking to to head teachers and colleagues as well about this as well. So we were although our focus always remained as it should on the particular schools and the children we were dealing with, uh, we also recognised and could see how that we how we could have an influence uh, further afield within the system as well. Mm-hmm. And that's why I gave the, the book title uh, the, the title I did, because I could see, you can see when you when you go down this route, how there are impacts for positive impacts for everyone uh, in the system. And in in terms of um, any barriers you face, George, you'd mentioned before about making sure you clear the the priorities so that there's just the one priority and it's on the school improvement plan. Were there any other major barriers and would you do anything differently if you were going to lead this in another school? Yeah, it depends. It, It depends... Every school is unique and every school context is different and mm-hmm. that has to be reflected in what, what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a, a particular point, we, we, we'd already been working on developing the, the culture uh, so that it was one based on trust mm-hmm. uh, in the, and support in the two schools. If... if you cannot micromanage this. You cannot micromanage uh, inquiry, you know. Uh, and and I think a lot of school leaders, or some school leaders, might struggle with that because it's it's not about letting go. Because I think you know, key to it is being in, involved in in all the messiness yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and being actively involved and being an inquirer yourself. Mm-hmm. So the teachers uh, have it, to feel empowered and be at the heart of it. They're leading it. Is that fair to say? The teachers Who who's who's leading it, did you say? So the teachers have to feel at the part at the heart of it and they have to feel empowered to take something forward. You know Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's when it becomes more more powerful. You know, the the model of of school development and teacher development, which is based on on school management going in and and or or others from outside of school going in and telling teachers what they're not doing very well. Uh, <laughs> doesn't work <laughs> you know uh, I've, I've said many times we have to win the hearts and minds of teachers I can't make as a school leader I couldn't make teachers become better teachers mm-hmm. or improve their practice they were great teachers already mm-hmm. but they, but we can all you know as Dylan Williams says we can all we can all be better mm-hmm. uh, and what I wanted to do was create a culture that supported teachers and allowed teachers to come to that recognition themselves that actually they were the the main drivers of their development and so it should be because it's their it's their practice and you know I could I could have gone into classrooms and I have done and I've gone into classrooms and and said to people oh you know you need you need to uh, improve how you're teaching reading and then you walk out again it, it has no impact you know all you do is is 
demoralize the teacher you've just spoken to if you if you if you did take that approach and you're not giving them any any guidance on how how they can uh, improve and move their practice forward but when they recognize themselves things that are concerning them about about what's going on with the learning in the classroom and they start to investigate that and they start to put changes in place and they see the impact of that that's the most powerful uh, professional development those teachers can have because they, they they as i said before they've changed their identity they've changed their practice they changed the way they think about uh, what they're doing and how they can get better and it's because they want to, not because they're being told they have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, completely yeah. agree, George. Um, and I wonder, just uh, I mean, thanks so much for your time again today. We could sit and talk to you for hours. Uh, but just as a way of sort of bringing things to a close, I wonder if you could give us like your top tip for practitioner inquiry. Somebody who's listening, be there just um, if they're a class teacher or they might be a playground assistant or they might be a school leader, a system leader. What would your top tip be for practitioner inquiry and for the sort of next steps moving forward from this point? Well, I, I think... I've mentioned keeping it proportionate and manageable mm-hmm. all the way through this, yeah. and, I, and I put it all the way through the book as well, deliberately. It's in all the Curriculum for Excellence documents, mm-hmm. but we tend to lose sight of that yeah. very quickly. So I think it's baby steps. And, and, and you know, uh, I, I think people have to definitely walk before they can run. Don't, don't try and go too quickly. Pace yourself. Keep it small, keep it focused, and hopefully do it in a, a collaborative, supportive culture. Now, if you can't get that and if you don't feel that you've got that in your working environment, you need to look for that outside. There are plenty of people all over Scotland and elsewhere as well who are, are, are taking similar approaches and trying similar mm-hmm. approaches. And they, in my, you know, in, in my experience... All of those people are more than happy to talk to other people about what they're doing and to support other people as well. So take it easy. Don't try and and, and run too much. Don't get bogged down in the research as well, I would say. You know, it's it's when you start looking at educational research Mm -hmm. and, and... academic articles as well you can quickly get bogged down in it it all in the language because most research written by university researchers is written for other university researchers and it's not very accessible Uh, so you've got to learn to to uh, engage with that in a way that's useful to yourself and not be uh, swamped by by it all you know and be able to to have the dialogue and, and school leaders need to create cultures that allow that to happen and gives teachers the time and the space uh, to have those conversations to have the dialogue and give them the support and the trust they need for them to try things out because I tell you if people are trying things out they're going to make mistakes as well as have successes mm-hmm. and that's okay as well you know what works the best learning uh, approaches for, for our learners who are in front of us in the, in the classrooms or with us in the classrooms apply just as well 
to professional learning as well, and yeah. we should never lose sight of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, George, um, I want to be very respectful of your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show and having a conversation with us. Um, I would recommend to anybody listening who, who this is sort of inspiring you to go out buy George's book. It's fantastic. It's really accessible. And what I love about the book is that it gives you some really practical advice for getting started with your practitioner inquiry. And it also gives you um, models. So it gives you case studies and examples of posters that have been created. So I think if you're thinking about start and definitely go out and have a look at the book i know i'm going to be buying a few copies for the staff room as well um so just want to say thank you again george for all your wisdom today it's been great having you on the show thank you i've, I've enjoyed it you're yeah. right i could talk forever sure, <laughs> you know we could, we could go on and i regularly do talk forever if i get the chance and i get a captive <laughs> audience so thanks for the invite i've really enjoyed it and uh, i do hope people find the boot useful because that was the whole aim to to give practitioners something that was practical that they could pick up and they would find useful and the language was easy for them to engage with and it wasn't it didn't become a barrier for them so thank you so now it's time for our feature we recommend so in this part of our show we recommend something that can be picked up and that you can introduce tomorrow um, or the day after whenever it is you're next in the classroom it can be an article, it can be an app, it can be following someone on Twitter, it can be listening to a podcast, reading a blog post, or a physical resource that you can download and use and adapt in your lesson. So, Jude, what do you recommend? Uh, I'm going to recommend an app um, in this episode. It's an app that I've been using for a while. Uh, I really like it and um, it's been a real kind of pivotal part of my practice actually but I've just thought about recommending it just now and I recommended it to, to Jace this morning and he thought it was a really good idea. So the app is Pocket um, and it's a fantastic app. I use it for, and I'll, I'll explain the way I use it and that might sort of clarify what it's for. Um, when I'm going through Twitter there's often hundreds of articles and things that I want to read and things that I find really interesting and it's about saving it for later and that's the bit that I find really difficult. Then enters pocket. What you do, you find an article that you find interesting, something that you want to read for later but you maybe don't have the time just now. You click that sort of share button on your phone and it gives you the option to save it to Pocket. You just click the Pocket icon and it goes into a, a sort of folder of articles that you want to read. What it does, it really nicely puts it into a format that's really easy to read as well. It strips away all the pictures, all the adverts and things, and you're just left with the article. Um, it's also fantastic. You can label it. So if you're wanting to save things specifically for a particular project that you're working on or a particular area that you're working on, you can do that nice and easy. You can also um, get it to read it out to you. So if you're in the car and you're wanting to read it out, uh, it can do that for you. It does read it out in that sort of traditional computer <laughs> voice, which is a wee bit waiting. But if it's something really important and something that you're wanting to listen to um, or read, I think it's fantastic. Um, and, and I love it. It doesn't just work with Twitter. You can do it if you're on the internet as well. Uh, you can save anything in there for later. And the amazing thing, I'm going to say one last thing about it, is it also works with e-readers as well. So if I've got a Kobo and you can 
other e-readers are available <laughs> but you can save it on there and then it's automatically on, yeah. on your Kobo and it updates cool. every device which is which is great that's so, really good well thanks for sharing that Jude so the thing I'm going to recommend is a self-evaluation tool um, it's howgoodis.org so it's a website so that's howgoodis.org and there's a number of um, things that you can do it's totally free to use um, it's developed by um, one of the local authorities um, and is supported by Education Scotland as well. Um, they have gone to the effort of putting everything from how good is our uh, school to um, they've also got things uh, on there about how good is our college or our early learning centre. Um, it's got QIs, it's got challenge questions, really useful tool um, in a really friendly way for you to complete um, things on it. So you go in um, to one of the sections, you can choose a, a quality indicator and then you start your evaluation. It's got a section for you to note your evidence, you get to choose a level from the, the kind of scale, one to six, and you also have a section where you can put in your next steps. And you can save it, export it um, as a, a Word document, and then you can share it um, as much as you like. A really, really good tool and it just makes it a nicer way to present um, your, your evaluation. So, yeah, so that's howgoodis.org. Fantastic. And we'd love to take any recommendations from, from you as well. So if you want to get in touch with us, use the hashtag we recommend um, or also the hashtag edubleather as well. Uh, and we'd love to feature some of your recommendations too. So please do get in touch via Twitter. Our next feature is Inspired By. This is where we take a bigger idea and something that takes a little bit more time and planning to introduce into your practice. So that could be a book or an idea, a recent CBD session that you've been on. It might be a spotlight on schools. So we'll, obviously we're, we're inspired by inspirational practice that's taking place across, across the country as well. So we'd love to hear from you on that. Um, the Inspired By section is where we take something bigger and go into it in a bit more detail. So, um, Jace has been inspired this episode. Um, can you share what has inspired you, Jace? Yeah, so at the moment I'm reading a book um, by Andy Buck called Leadership Matters, How Leaders at All Levels Can Read, uh, can Create Great Schools. <laughs> you can read, well, <laughs> Jace. <laughs> um, and I'm working my way through this book. I've been on it for a wee while, but it's just really handy to know that a book is really accessible and it's got shorter chapters, and I think that's something really important that I'm looking for in a book. I don't have time to sit down and read a book cover to cover, because mm-hmm. um, we all have busy day lives and all that kind of stuff. But this book is great for that. It's really short, but it's really practical as well. Um, so the last chapter I read was called Creating Alignment, which was about relationships and working with your staff. Um goes into detail in short mini sections and then at the end it has a kind of summary page mm. of bullet points of the key points which I just think is really really good really useful just to take away from that right so who's this book for Jay? Um I think it can be for for everyone really um, it's about how leaders at all levels can create great schools so We've focused before on teacher leadership, we've focused on uh, middle leadership, senior leadership and system leadership. So I think anyone who's got an interest in change or moving something forward would find something out of this book. That's great. And you mentioned it's really practical. Is there mm-hmm. Are there things that you've implemented already in your practice? 
Um, so at my school at the moment, we're working on um, renewing our vision, value and aims and our commitments. We're coming into improvement planning, which I know um, is quite familiar for a lot of schools at this time of year. They're reviewing last year and moving forward. So it's been really helpful just to to reflect on some of the other ideas out there about how people have, have got people on board around that process. Um, and we've implemented some of the ideas along that. So it's been good, really good. Excellent. So that was Leadership Matters by Andy Buck. Thanks for that, Jace. Thank you. And that's the end of episode five. It was fantastic to have George Gilchrist on the show talking about practitioner inquiry and his new book. You can follow him at Gilchrist George and check out his blog. Can't believe that we've recorded five episodes now. It's been no, it's been really, really good actually, and we've got loads. Um, going on with loads of Twitter followers, we've got loads of listens, and we're really thankful for everyone tuning in. Yeah, thanks for that. So as ever, you can follow us on Twitter at EduBleather, and you can check out our website, which has loads more content, and we're adding things all the time, edubleather.wordpress.com. Yep. And not to blow our own trumpet, but (laughs) again, just to thank everybody, really, to be honest, because we do, I mean, we're almost at 600 followers, we've got 700 listens, um, and we're just really, um, I suppose, overwhelmed with the response uh, that EduBlether is getting. Uh, And now after five episodes, and now that there is a bit of a following there, we're keen to get more people to to involve, to to use the platform of EduBlether and talk about their practice, what's inspired them. So please do get in touch with us. via Twitter is probably the best at EduBleather if you'd like to feature on the show and just shout out about the excellent work that's happening uh, in your practice or in your school and what you're doing and um, we'd really love you to to use us to talk about that so um, thank you all for listening and um, we look forward to um, hearing what you think about episode 5 Thank you.